We're on. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Welcome everybody to the Safina Society. Nothing but facts live stream after a massively, massively long and unexpected hiatus. But the way I live and the way I do things is that if something comes your way that's out of your control, you got to accept it. There's a wisdom behind it. There's a reason that Allah made it that way. And there were several things that happened uh, that were necessary for me actually to be offline, although the, uh, that wasn't planned. So it was not planned, but it really was something that was extremely important. And so you got to just bring, roll with what Allah Ta'ala brings you, and you got to know that that's really the best thing that could possibly happen. And that's where, that's uh, why I was, you know, upset that the uh, incident happened with the, uh, with the power and disallowed us from continuing our live stream for a while. But you have to accept what Allah brings you because Allah has a better plan than you do. And uh, recently there was some land brought, purchase, the, a developer is developing some homes uh, next to a masjid, right? And the people said that land had been sitting there for 30 years. Why didn't we, the masjid, the people of the masjid, buy that land? We could have developed it, right? And their imam said something extremely wise. He said, you, you may have bought it 30 years ago, but you may have killed yourselves over it. Like, you may, it may have torn the community apart, right? So, we're back. Are we on Instagram, too? Yeah. We're on Instagram. We're on YouTube. And while we were having, while we were off, my Twitter account was hacked, so we're not on Twitter. But we're working to get it back. But here's the amazing thing. Habib, I don't know if you were here when we were on Celebrate Mercy, and I said, man, Twitter is just a place of arguments. Right, and I said I made a commitment. I'm not going to argue with Muslim groups anymore. Right, and Allah took the Twitter account away, so I could taste what it feels like not to argue, and it feels good. It's almost like I don't even want my Twitter account back. It's like I'm I'm going to get it back. I'm going to go for it back. But to be honest with you, what what is there to say? Right, there's nothing to say. Everyone's there's a million people talking about Islam. You know, there's nothing to tweet. There's nothing value to, you're not adding anything. So uh, I'll, I'll probably get it back and I'll still do it and everything. But it's the, that excitement, that hap, uh, thing about, you know, there's nothing there uh, on Twitter that is, is worth much. And I definitely prefer not having feuds with Muslims, which is, I got a lot of feuds with Muslims, let's, let's be honest. All right. Um, if I have an opinion that I believe something is true, I just say it pretty you know maybe it was reckless in the past and it's caused me to have um you know some people who don't like those things that i have to say but guess what i stick by every single thing there's not a single thing that i i i um i regret i regret the after effect that people were upset by this or that right that's that's not i don't i'm not happy about that but um you know uh, I'm not happy about that stuff. But I can't say that any of these positions that I took did not have a rational or, 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 or shari basis. Ladies and gentlemen, the nothing but facts, the Fina Society live stream, and my work in general, is meant for that person just starting out their path in Islam. 
or just needs a maintenance, okay? And giving people the ABCs, the entryway, the doorway, the reception to the world of learning about their religion and practicing it, okay? And answering questions that are um, out there that everyone's, uh, you know, asking these days, okay? Uh, and that's on people's minds. That's, that, that's what nothing but facts is. That's in general. When I teach people, I like to teach the freshies, the newbies, the noobs, the rookies, the people who just coming out, okay? And just like waking up to, to discovering that, hey, I need to get back to Allah. I need to get back to the deen. That's the group that I find to be most pure. And here's the thing. It's a sad thing. The moment you come in, we have such a fractured ummah right now. The moment you get your feet wet and you, get, you take a position or two, immediately you find yourself in controversy. And that, I remember going through that and it was very upset. I thought, like, Muslims are Muslims. We got one ummah, right? That's what I never thought that there were groups, except for the crazy sects. Yeah, I knew that existed. I wasn't that naive. But within Ahl Sunnah, uh, you know, you come in with that hyper-optimistic, um, idealistic view of the world, and your heart is so clean. And you just imagine, you know, everyone's... Like, if you go into... If you, if you let's say, in the world of med- medicine, okay? In the world of medicine. And you come out there, and you're, you're picking a doctor, and you talk to other doctors about doctors. You imagine in your head, all these doctors want good for me. That's it. You don't realize they probably got their feuds. They got their rivalries. They got their schools of thought, right? And they got their bickering. So I want everyone to think about, you know, this, so that this experience that I have transfers maybe positively to others, is that you always want to remember when your intention was just 100% pure. And you got to stick to that. And it's a, a, a memory of a feeling, it's a feeling, right? It's a memory of an internal state. And you got to navigate and keep that internal state. And that, because that internal state is the intention. That's your intention. And that's your, um, the purity of your intent. And it's an idealism. And it's a good opinion about others. Drama-free, feud-free, okay? And everyone probably remembers that state. So we got to stick to that. And that's where... At some point in Islamic um, dialogues and discourses, you got to step away from where there's argumentation. And that was my intention. And I have to say, I've, I've made that intention maybe like, all right, uh, I've made that intention like 10 times and failed. So let's take out, let's, ch- let's try it this time. Right. Let's try. Let's try it this time, and hopefully this time it'll work. And that commitment to all right, we're going to have a position. People are going to say bad things, and uh, whatever happens, happens after that. You know, argumentation hardens the heart, says the hellish razor. All right, it hardens the heart, and I want to stay far. I'm not going to not have a position if it's a position that's valuable for the listener, the common Muslim to know. All right. It's a political opinion that I have. Does that have any value to anybody? No, it's just an opinion. I keep that to myself, right? And it's, if it's something in your pay grade, it's something that, you know, uh, it's valuable for every Muslim to know, then we're going to say it. If they don't like it, not everyone's going to like it, right? 
Okay. Let's now turn. It is Monday, and you know what Monday means. It is the day in which Sayyid al-Kawnayn, the Messenger wasallam, was born. Someone asked, should I fast on Monday? The Prophet wasallam said, Wulittu fihi. I was born on that day. On that Monday, on Monday. So Monday is a day that we begin with the Shama'il of the Prophet ﷺ. We devote Mondays to any book related to the Messenger of Allah ﷺ. That's number one. Segment number two. I'm going to give you some of the talks that I know are happening and some that are not happening. We know that there are certain talks, certain places in London, in England. I'm not going to. Certain places I am going to. Generally. No set schedule yet, um, but I'll share that with you. Segment number three, I got two books here that I find are the really one of the best books, two, two of the best books I've seen published. Okay, One of them is by a man named Rayhan Zaidi. This is one of my favorite books that I've come upon, and I will probably read this book five times. Okay, And I cannot express to you how much this book, it's almost like, he took ideas from my head, like questions and things that I knew, like every Muslim should know this, and he put it down on paper, okay, probably in a much better way than I could. I'm going to share with you these two books that I think people should read from. Segment numero quattro is going to be open QA, ladies and gentlemen. Oma Mariam is asking, what are the name of the books? I'm going to tell you when we get to segment numero trace. Okay, so we got four segments today. And let's begin our first segment, and let's do a t- time check. Hey, uh, what what's what what time is it? Uh, right that right now. One twelve. So let's take a fifteen minute segment, twenty minute segment. I can go for two hours on this. Okay. Segment number one is the. Let's take a deep dive into the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. This is the greatest barakah, and this book is by Sayyid Muhammad Al Alawi Al Maliki or Muhammad Ibn Alawi. Al-Maliki Muhammad ibn Alawi ibn Abbas Al-Maliki Al-Makki Al-Hassani Kana sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Ya'tani bibadanihi The chapter The Prophet used to care about his body This is a sunnah not many I have to, Honestly I gotta tell you Not many ulama do this sunnah Maybe they don't have time Maybe they sit too much But the, many many ulama do not Because Virtues spread differently amongst people. Some people, uh, Imam Malik was once asked, Oh Malik, you have so many virtues, except you're not a Zahid. You're not ascetic. You, like you have nice horses, nice homes, nice pillows, nice couches in your homes, nice clothes. Why aren't you an ascetic like so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so? Malik said, Allah distributes the rain where he wishes. Some people get more rain than others. So, but this is something the Prophet ﷺ had a concern for his body. Okay. The first thing, and this I have to say, all the ulama do, cleanliness of the body. When you see a person, especially those who care much for what we call al ulum nabawiyyah, they care a lot about the thought about the Prophet, thinking about the Messenger ﷺ you find them to be very physically refined, almost obsessed with cleanliness. But let me give you a little caveat. Our religion also 
has another side to it. The Sahaba were Bedouin. Even the city of Medina would count today for us as not a city. The Sahaba did not have the luxury of paper towels, of handkerchiefs, of water. When the Sahaba finished eating, what do you think they did? They had rubbed the oil of the meat on their beard, and they rubbed their hand in the dust, and that would get the oil out, and then they rubbed the dust off on their thobe. The Sahaba were not these, this polished city folk, just so that we can have a balance in our religion. Okay, They, they had a balance. And there is, I believe, an excess you can have excess in cleanliness, especially like, I don't want to put this in my mouth, it has a germ in it. You're weakening your immune system, in my opinion. Don't take medical advice from me, but that's my medical advice. As, as long as it's not a chemical, right? Chemical is probably bad, but if something in nature, you know, falls on the grass, gets some dust on it. Nature is probably good to have in your body. You strengthen yourself, strengthen your immune system. That's just a theory of mine. Don't take it. You know, it's not worth a hill of beans, but that's my theory about it. Excessive, Omar ibn Khattab said, uh, when he saw people going cleaning their hands before dinner, and he said, what is this? This is Persian behavior. Come and eat with the dust on your hand, right? So we have to know that cleanliness in our religion just has uh, a balance, just like anything else. Because in the early days, they used to consider, uh, Darul Hamidiyah says a great thing, OCD develops out of this. He's right. I've seen people, if a grape falls on your own floor, oh, I'll eat it. What happened to the three-second rule? What happened to the five-second rule? I got the five-day rule, okay? <laughs> I'm not wasting food and becoming one of these OCD, ultra-clean types of people. I'll rinse, rinse it under the sink and eat it, okay? If the apple has a little bit of brown around the edge, like if you some bit an apple and didn't eat it, put it in the fridge, oh, I have to cut that off. Why? This is excess. It's ghulu. Our religion gives us a lot of balance when it comes to these things. But the nails of the Prophet, the mustache of the Prophet, the visuals, the scent of the Prophet, there was no shortcuts on that. The physical scent, the nails, the mustache, the teeth, no cutting shortcuts. And while you make wudu, your face is going to be clean. right? If you make wudu every day, then you can't have stuff in your eyes, stuff in your, your face. So these very important visual that people see your first thing uh, when they see you, everyone has that. He showered at least once a week. He used to wash his hands before eating and after. Okay. We, we know that Sayyidina Uthman knew that that was a sunnah. And Sayyidina Umar said, no, it's not a sunnah. Okay? And here he mentions it. See, here's, you know why people don't use a siwak? Because they treat the siwak like a toothbrush. You only have one. Right? How many toothbrushes? When you go home on your sink, you don't have like three toothbrushes. You got one toothbrush. Because that thing never leaves the house. But the siwak is everywhere. I came to a realization can't have, if you just have one siwak and you think, okay, this is my miswak, you're going to lose it. You're never going to use miswak. You got to have miswak here, miswak in the car, miswak on the nightstand. You just have them everywhere. It costs you two cents. But the miswak, I personally believe, has a better effect on the teeth and less of that filmy, foamy, filmy, weird toothpaste flavor 
none of that. And it has a better if impact on the teeth. I don't know what it is. The randomness of the bristles or some something in the bristles of the miswak. Okay. Um, it's much better. It, it brightens the teeth. And also, it's, you know, keeps you company while you're driving. وَكَانَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ يَحْفَظُ يُحَافِظُ عَلَى تَعَهُدِ أَطْرَافِ بَدَنِهِ بِالنَّظَافَةِ وَإِزَالَةِ الْأَوْسَاخِ عَنْهَا مِنْ قَسِّ شَارِبِهِ وَأَطْفَارِهِ وَنَتْفِ إِبْطِهِ وَحَلْقِعَانَتِهِ And the edges of the body were always crisp. His teeth were always crisp. His mustache never went over his mouth. His fingernails were always clipped. If you clip your fingernails every Friday morning, they're never going to be long. And there's a disgusting, disgusting habit that started amongst the like the workers in Egypt. They keep the pinky long. You ever seen this? And they and I said, man, what is this disgusting habit? He said, no, sometimes I don't have my screwdriver, right? I'm like, oh, come on. And then another one, I asked him, what is this? And he said, yeah, clean your teeth out. Oh, do you know how many germs are in there, right? Bacteria's in here. A disgusting habit. If we see someone, if one of our guys ever gets that, we are pinning him down and clipping it for him. The, the long pinky. That, when you see a guy has that, he is an old school Egyptian. Okay? The pinky. The long pinky thing. Cut that off. Also, to pluck out the hairs of the armpit. Pluck it out so it's permanently gone. And between the legs, the private parts, shave it every Friday morning. That is with the ghusk of Jummah. Okay. When it comes to this discussion on cleanliness and the balance, the tip, the balance, the evidence will tip towards cleanliness. The bulk of the ummah, after the Sahaba or city people, the Sahaba are Bedouin. They don't have water everywhere. They don't have the amenities we have. But immediately Islam went to Egypt. It's an ancient city. Okay? In Egypt. Ancient cities. Fustat or whatever they called it back then. Okay? Fustat. Now, by the way, this long fingernails thing applies to women too. Okay? It applies in, in Islam. I'm saying you buy the sunnah. This is not a sunnah for men only. It's a sunnah for women too. Just in case some people think that um, it's only for men and that women, they, they do have long, long nails. It's, it's um, a sunnah for both men and women, just uh, to clarify that. Islam went to cities right away. City folk are different than Bedouin folk, than nomad folk. The rules of life change. The culture changes. So when, the balance, when we have that balance, it always bounces towards cleanliness. Allah is pure and he loves what is pure. And the hadith continues. Nadifun yuhibbun nadafa. Okay, this is from, Tir- from Tirmidhi. Clean and loves cleanliness. The cleanliness of Allah, obviously, clearly is uh, different from, it is non-bodily cleanliness. We, we know that. He's generous. He loves generosity. Where's the generosity? Where's the itr? Okay. Also, we should have a couple itr bottles everywhere you go. Do we have any itr here? That's the generosity. Some people are stingy. They don't want to use itr because it's, you know, like it's going to go away or it's, or it's going gonna, it's gonna, to, you know, uh, run out. Okay. No, you should use your itr. Jawad, you hibbul jud. He's a giver and he loves those who give. Okay. 
وبقوله تنظفوا بكل ما استطعتم clean yourself with everything you can فإن الله بنى الإسلام على النظافة Allah built Islam upon نظافة okay. ولن يدخل الجنة إلا كل نظيف and no one will enter Jannah except everyone clean now if you just follow the Sunan okay you will be extremely clean. You cannot, uh, and 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 cleanliness to me is not negated by some dust, some that stuff is nothing. We used to have a, one of my first teachers was a surgeon, and he used to say that uh, he said that when you talk about Islamic and uh, teachings on cleanliness, he said people out there they need this. The most elite people they need this. He says because we cut up people and we got other very well-off people who come in and we have to cut them up and clean them and, and do surgery on them and say they're filthy. Like they're filthy. They do not have basic hygiene. They're unclean. And these were, well, these were you know, um, well-off people. وَأَكْبَرُ دَلِيلٍ عَلَى نَظَافَةِ بَدَنِهِ الشَّرِيفِ طِيبُ عَرَاقِهِ الشَّرِيفِ even his the sweat of the prophet as a miracle for prophets had a good scent to it didn't most people believe it or not sweat is actually um if you if you run indoors on a treadmill inside you're going to sweat a lot but that sweat never mixed with dust in the air so almost you you may have like no scent to you especially if there's no hair that it mixed with it mixed with the dust of the hair so so sweat by its nature uh the prophet's sweat According to these narrations, we accept it. Had a good scent to it. His general scent, people have a general scent, okay, was better than amber and misk, musk. His scent would stay in the path in which he walked. This is one of the unique features about the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Yet, بِتَنْضِيفِهِ وَتَرْجِيلِهِ وَسَدْلِهِ قَالَ أَنَسْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ كَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ يُكْثِرُ دُهْنَ رَأْسِهِ He used to oil his hair so that that it would flow and not be dry and 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 when your hair is dry and you know gets wiry and he used to comb his hair and his beard they had combs back then they didn't com- they were not completely bereft of any tools they had tools they had clippers or scissors or they had combs okay and that is a khirqa, a piece of cloth, tudau ala rasi, duhni minhu. When you put oil, they used to take another cloth, put that on top of the hair, and then put the turban on top of that. And the cap, kulunsua. So they wear the turban, but the, in order to not get the cap and the turban oily, they put this other garment for so the prophet cared for these things okay that was his care for his hair what about his eyes 
قال ابن عباس رضي الله عنهما أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم كان كانت له مكحلة مكحلة يكتحل منها كل ليلة. Every night he would put three on one eye and three on the other. Okay. And the messenger uh, Imam Malik said that whenever he would put kuhl on his eyes, he would not leave the house. This is important sunnah. The Prophet put kuhl on his eyes. We know that. But Malik says it is not the sunnah to leave the house with that. Okay? Sunnah that you have it for the nighttime only, then wash it off. The Prophet's care for teeth. كان صلى الله عليه وسلم يعتني بتخليل أسنانه بعد تناول الطعام ويقول he used to care for uh, putting something through his between the teeth like uh, what do we call it today floss every three years go to the dentist to give me a lecture about floss I don't need a dentist I don't need commanding right and forbidding wrong about floss every single time they give me the same lecture okay the world has time to floss give me the miswak in the car and that's call it a day okay the prophet used to say how good is the fortune of those who go between their teeth in my own i didn't know this hadith existed so maybe floss maybe i will start flossing but I'm not getting the two, you need two hands floss. I need the stick with the piece of cloth on it. That is acceptable. But not, you didn't give me though that string and I'm going to go back and forth with that. That's too complicated, right? Give me that, that plastic thing, yep. And, and also I got my miswak. They said, who are the mutakhalilun? Okay, those who go in between in their wudu and go in between with the food. So that is, in wudu, they go between their fingers. It's sunnah to go between the toes and to go between the teeth, okay, to get things out of your teeth. تَخْلِيلُ الْوُدُوء الْمَضْمَضَ وَالْإِسْتِنْشَاقُ وَبَيْنَ الْأَصَابِعُ The madmada, the mouth, rinsing water out of your mouth. The nose in wudu and between the fingers. Between the fingers, of course, being fard, the other two are sunnah. As for takhleel al-ta'am, فَلِأَنَّهُ لَيْسَ شَيْءَ أَشَدَّ عَلَى الْمَلَكَيْنِ مِنْ أَنْ يَرِيَا بَيْنَ أَسْنَانِ صَاحِبَهُمَا طَعَامًا وَهُوَ قَائِمٌ يُصَلِّي Wow! I never heard this. This is from Tabarani. And Imam Ahmed. Listen to this. He said, there is nothing that upsets malaika more than seeing their man, their, their person who they're assigned to, Pray, and there's teeth sticking, there's food sticking out of his teeth. So brushing your teeth, going between the teeth. Just because of this hadith, I'm going to get that flosser. The miswak is good, but maybe it doesn't get every single thing between the teeth. A dentist can give me all those lectures, but now that there's a hadith on it, I'm going to go get that, those sticks. This is the school of Muhammad We're in Prophet Muhammad University right now studying. It's direct from Sayyid al Kaunain. This is the 
in order for his mouth to taste good and his teeth to look shiny, he was cons- always using the miswak in all his states. Okay, We don't have one thing only for a medicare. We don't do it in the masjid or in the prayer line or in front of people, hanging out with people. I mean, you're hanging out with one friend, that's two friends, that's nothing. But unlike other madahib, which they say right before takbirat al-ihram, use the miswak, that's Ahlan Sahlan, that maybe is the Shafi method, but the Madiki method does not observe that. They observe that this is cleanliness. You don't do that in front of the people, nor in the Saf, nor in the Masjid. Okay? And Miswak is with the Wudu, or out of the Wudu, or somewhere else. Okay? Inda Salah, before Salah, meaning Wa'inda al Wudu, during the Wudu, not right in front of the Salah. Okay? According to the Madiki version of it understanding of it, Maddox's understanding of it. Who's going to understand that better than this, than him? وَعِنْدَ النَّوْمِ Before sleeping. وَبَعْدَ النَّوْمِ After he wakes up from sleeping. وَعِنْدَ دُخُولِهِ وَخُرُجِهِ Anytime he comes in, he comes out. Anytime there's like a shift, a period of time where you didn't talk or eat, use him as what? بَلْ وَكَانَ يَأْمُرُ بِذَلِكَ And he used to tell people. وَيَحُطُّ عَلَيْهِ And encourage people to do this. And he says, The fem, the miswak, it's cleaning, cleanliness for the mouth and pleasing to the Lord. Narrated by Nasa'i and others. If it was not just to make things matters difficult on my ummah, I would have commanded him to use the miswak with every salah. وفي رواية عند البزار والطبراني لفرضت عليهم السواك عند كل صلاة كما فرضت فرضت عليهم الوضوء. I would have obligated it upon them for every salah, just as wudu was obligated. But the Prophet did not want to make things difficult for people. Because sometimes you don't have a miswak, you can't find one. And some people then use their finger instead to rub out anything that's on the front of their teeth. All right, Chocolate Wallace says there's a company called Water Pick, and it pressurized blasts uh, water. Okay, it's much better than the plastic, but it looks like it needs technology and electricity and stuff like that. Okay, so um, not like that's not present, but it means like it's not something mobile or something you need to be in the in the bathroom to do. But anyway, we'll check that out. اعتناؤه بثيابه وهيئته the Prophet's concern with his, his clothes and his appearance. The Prophet clear, clarified to us. A good appearance and good clothes is one of the ways of Prophets. All Prophets had regularly had a good appearance and good clothes. Okay? And their excellent attributes okay the prophet ﷺ says this about the anbiya and narrated in tirmidhi wasayyiduna muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam he is the chief of all prophets he is the cleanest of human beings in his home in his body in his clothes and in his gathering وفي الحديث and in the hadith ما رأيت مثل هذا الرجل ولا أحسن منه وجها ولا أنقى ثوبا a woman came and saw the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم narrated in Tabarani 
And she said about the messenger, I've never seen anyone with a nicer face and cleaner clothes than him. Okay. وَكَانَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَمْ يَتَجَمَّلُ He used to beautify himself. وَيَحُثُّ عَلَى التَّجَمُّلُ And he used to encourage people to beautify themselves. إِنَّ اللَّهَ جَمِيلٌ يُحِبُّ الْجَمَالِ Allah is beautiful and he loves beauty. رَوَاهُ إِبْنِ السُّنِّ وَكَانَ يُرَاعِي الْأَحْوَالَ وَالْمُنَاسَبَاتِ He used to be considerate of circumstances and occasions. Not everything is the same. فَإِذَا جَاءَ الْوُفُودِ كَانَ لَهُ حَالٌ آخَرَ فِي مُقَابَلَتِهِمْ When newcomers would come, chief of tribe so-and-so and a chief of tribe of so-and-so would come, he had a different state than when they weren't there. فَيَتَجَمَّلُ بِثَوْبِهِ أَوْ بِجُبَّتِهِ أَوْ بِمَا هُوَ حَاضِرٌ لَدَيْهِ Whatever he had of a thawb or a jubba, he would beautify himself by wearing that when those guests came. Okay. Uh, that would be appropriate to wear for the person who's coming. Okay. And if Eid came, he used to wear a specific garment because it's Eid. Eid is not the time to wear the same clothes that you've always been wearing. So, this idea of wearing new clothes, okay. Uh, on Eid or different clothes, it's masnoon. Secondly, what else? Jum'ah. Doesn't have to be new, but a garment just for Jum'ah. Okay? Just to, to make it specific, distinguished. I used to say, do this. وَيَقُولُ إِنَّ اللَّهَ إِذَا أَنْعَمَ عَلَىٰ عَبْدٍ نِعْمَةً يُحِبُّ أَنْ يَرَىٰ أَثَرَ نِعْمَتِهِ عَلَىٰ عَبْدِهِ Narrated by Tabrani that if Allah gave you a blessing, Allah would love to see the sign of this blessing upon you. وَيَقُولُ إِنَّ مِنْ كَرَامَةِ الْمُؤْمِنِ عَلَىٰ اللَّهِ نَقَاءُ ثَوْبِهِ وَرِضَاهُ بِالْيَسِيرِ One of the karamat or act of generosity from Allah to a believer is that his garments are always clean and he's happy with what is little in life. That's like, that's, that's a gift that you're, you're able to always keep your clothes clean. Don't take this for granted. Some people are too poor to keep their clothes clean. Or they have, don't have a consciousness. You don't go out with a stained garment. You don't go out with an unironed garment. And I have to tell some of the youth this, by the way. Like some of the kids, they come in, like say 11 years old, 12 years old. Like the dog, the the, the, the the jeans look like it came out of a dog's mouth. Looks like a dog chewed on it like a, like a toy and spit it out. And then that person wore it like that. Completely wrinkled. Like that thing was not even folded. The jeans was at the bottom of a pile. So I know everything about you. You are one of those people who puts a pile, has a, a pyramid in his room. Like I, I could, you could tell because how does, how does jeans get that crumpled, right? And denim is not even easy to get crumpled, but... That garment was at the bottom of a pile. And you're one of the people that has a pile in the room. Okay? And that's not... Uh, that's contrary to the sunnah here. To go out with wrinkled up clothes is really no different than stained up clothes. It's just... Una- you don't want to look at it. Okay? So this is something, again, of the city folk, of the people where 
these things matter to us. This is not the Bedouin land. This is not the farmland. Farmland, who cares? Everything is dirty. You are never clean on the farm. If you were to take out your most, your best garment, okay, and just walk outside, it's going to get dusty. An animal will rub against you. So don't measure us against the farmers or on um, against the, uh, the, the, the Bedouin. Uh, Anam is saying, I have heard not ironing clothes is the sunnah. Is that true? I don't know if that could be the sunnah because they didn't really have, did they have irons back then? They maybe pressed their clothes in some way, shape, and form. Who knows? But by the spirit of what we are reading here, al-i'tina, having care, is, is a general term. Okay. It's general, right? Therefore, it's open-ended. So what is beautiful to us? Does anyone expect you to come in with, you know, these ex- excessively well uh, 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 expensive garments I don't think so but can it be ironed and can the stains be washed out that's ex- reasonable to say right so right so that it's general it's what us as a urf we can say pretty confidently nobody would go to a job interview without ironed clothes nobody would go to propose to a woman and I'm going to meet her mom and dad today no, but it's sunnah not to iron my clothes. <laughs> Is that ever going to happen? Right? Yunhi means to end. Yenha. He forbids. Don't expose your garments to be dirty. And he to tell people, lift it from the ground. Okay? Lift up your izar. It's cleaner. And it would last longer. Okay? It's cleaner, it would last longer. A couple more sections before we wrap up segment number one and move on to segment number two, which is latest updates on the England trip. Then segment number three, two books I want to share with everyone. Then segment number four, uh, open QA with everyone. Open, no subject. Any subject. What about his house and his masjid? He loved that his house be clean. Tell that to, to some kids. You know, kids are worse than like a torn... Uh, rioters. If you had a riot, if, if 10 people rioted in your house, right? Having kids in the house is worse than that. Because rioters will get exhausted and they'll leave. Rioters go home. Kids will keep coming. Every day they wake up in your house. You're here? You're still here? Right? And they will mess up your home. It's not their home. What do they care? Right? And he used to tell people, clean your homes. Okay? The mosque. He used to keep the masjid clean. And he used to care about this. And he was happy with the people. Who did this? When a woman died and she used to be the sweeper of the masjid. She used to sweep the masjid. They didn't tell him that she died because she was not someone of import. And they buried her. Then he said, where is the woman who cleans up the masjid? They said, oh, she died, we buried her. He was upset. Did you ask me before you did this? 
Okay? فَذَهَبَ إِلَىٰ قَبْرِهَا وَصَلَّى عَلَيْهَا He went to her grave and he made salah upon her. Because he cared about this person whose contribution was to clean the masjid. Okay? There needs to be a non-profit organization dedicated to putting paper towels in the mosques, bathrooms. It's almost like the one area of competence. This, this, is, this is the reason I know Muslims didn't do 9-11. I know we're not supposed to talk about 9-11. Some people, especially their parents or converts, they don't like it. I'm telling you, I know 1,000% practicing Muslims did not do 9-11. We cannot even put paper towels in the bathroom. You cannot keep the bathrooms functioning. You think you're going to hijack planes. Just think about it. If you know your community, I've been to many countries, and I hung out with the pious Muslims in many countries. No one's got the bathroom issue down. It's almost like we're still Bedouins. Like we got this Bedouin, oh, what do we do? We don't know what to do. No one set a budget for this. No one set a schedule for this. No one said just Amazon direct order it every month. Right? It's almost like constant, nonstop. It's predictable. Right? Turkey's the only country that may have got this down. So I know our ummah. Right? There's no way we could do something that requires 15 steps like this. Expertise. Precision, timing, it's not going to happen. Yeah, the air dryer. You solved that problem. Let me tell you what else. Okay. I have an invention for the masajid. A ground level air dryer where you're, you do your thing, you kick it before you leave and it dries, it, you dries the whole floor of the masjid of the bathroom and you put one here you put one there you put one on the other side so you kick it all of them go off right and hot air comes into the mess into the floor for 30 seconds okay hot air now if i kick it you kick it the next person kicks it the the at least the entryway the area where people would first walk in the area where the flip-flops are at okay will be dry okay yeah, I'm telling you, that's what we need. That no one has thought of this, and it could be a strip, an air, a hot air strip, on one, two, three walls, and then the sink is out the fourth wall, or this wudu area, and then, oh, Dean Adi, motion censored. Yeah, motion censored. Okay, as soon as like there is a that that is sensed, boom, it, it turns on, even for ten seconds, right? The place will be filled with warm air. It will be dried out, and everything will be perfect. Automatic uh, a drying. Summer says it already exists, but we don't have it. Okay, why don't we have it? And we have other problems. I have. To, I hate to say this, but the ummah has a pot. I'm telling you, potty training problem. It's as if we are all an ummah of Bedouins. We don't know how toilets work. We had all of Ramadan, maybe except for the last two weeks or last week. Three weeks of Ramadan, we did not have toilets. Why? Because some people, I don't know why, what they're doing, what's going on, paper towels, stuffing them in the toilets, and thinking it's an industrial strength toilet, flushing the toilet, and then guess what happened? All the paper towel went down, clogged up somewhere central, clogged up everything, backed up. We had to end up going and doing all sorts of digging and cutting and hiring people. And then these people come out and it's just 
paper towels. That's it. It's like you don't know that paper towel can will clog a toilet. You're an adult, and it's like I'm telling you, we 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 people don't know how to use a toilet properly, right? Sunny seven hundred says the same thing on Instagram. It's like the same experience. Why is it that we have? How could you live in America? You took a plane to get here, right? You know the basics of life. How do you not know how to use a toilet? So now we're we're nervous about putting paper towels back in the bathroom. It costs us three weeks of toilet in the most important time of the year, Ramadan, right? And we're not putting paper towels yet. And Samara says, oh, I thought it was a UK issue. Sister, it's an Ummah issue. <laughs> the Ummah. Why do not we know how to use this technology? It's like this technology came from England and we're so confused, right? The toilet came out of England, right? So terrible situation here with the bathrooms, but we really, we, we have cleanliness issues, which, which when you know your ummah, you know your ummah, and you know that the, certain things you can't, if you can't get this right, what are you going to get right, right? What are you going to get right? So, فَقَدْ جَاءَ فِي الْحَدِيثِ Okay. وَكَانَ هُنَاكَ رَجُلٌ مَخْسُوسٌ يَتَوَلَّى تَبْخِيرَ الْمَسْجِدِ وَهُوَ نعيم المجمر وسمي بالمجمر نسبة إلى هذه الوظيفة نعيم the coal uh, the مجمر is the, the coal heater someone who heats up coals because you have to heat up coal what is his job? Bukhur in the masjid Bukhur puts the Bukhur up and it's a coal and then you put the wood chips on top of it so that the house doesn't smell like food the uh, masjid after iftar after dinners does not smell like food and his name was Nu'aym al-Mujammir okay that piece of coal is called a jamra the one who uh, heats it uh, heating it up is called a tajmir al-Mujammir the one who heats it up وَلَيْسَ هَذَا خَاصًا بِمَسْجِدِهِ بَلْ كَانَ يَحُثُّ عَلَى ذَلِكَ بِوَجْهٍ عَامٍ And it was not something khas to the Masjid of the Prophet in general. He is, Prophet ﷺ used to have him do it after Dhuhr. Sayyidina Umar established it after Aisha in Ramadan. So that when, masjid, when people come to the Masjid, it smells nice. Okay. فَقَدْ جَاءَ فِي الْحَدِيثِ أَمَرَنَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ بِبِنَاءِ الْمَسَاجِدِ فِي الدُّورِ وَأَمَرَنَا أَن نُنَظِّفَهَا the Prophet ﷺ commanded us that in every home to make a little mosque, a place of salah for yourself in your home and to always keep it clean. Okay. The places of the bathroom. Okay. There's a big reward for someone who even cleans the smallest thing, al-qadha, from the mosque. Okay? And he said that, um, that there, the bathroom should be kept separate so that none of that spills into the mosque that najasa okay and do not even blow your nose in the masjid okay in the sense of if people used to blow their nose and still today like 
if people are working or something, they just blow their nose like that. It's pretty gross, but people used to do that. The voice. كَانَ صَوْتُهُ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ حَسَنًا وَقَدْ أَخْبَرَنَا أَنَسٌ عَنْ ذَلِكَ فَقَالَ مَا بَعَثَ اللَّهُ نَبِيًّا إِلَّا حَسَنُ الْوَجْهِ وَحَسَنُ الصَّوْتِ Anas said, no prophet has been sent except he had a good face and a nice voice. وَكَانَ نَبِيُّكُمْ أَحْسَنُهُمْ وَجْهًا وَأَحْسَنُهُمْ صَوْتًا The Prophet, your Prophet, had the nicest face and the nicest voice. That is رواه التلمذي. وَقَالَ الْبَرَاءِ ابْنَ عَازِبٍ الْبَرَاءُ ابْنُ عَازِبٍ قَرَأَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ فِي الْعِشَاءِ وَالتِّينِ وَالزَّيْتُونِ The Prophet recited وَالتِّينِ وَالزَّيْتُونِ in Aisha فَلَمْ أَسْمَعَ صَوْتًا أَحْسَنَ مِنْهُ Never heard a voice better than this رواه الشيخان بخاري مسلم وقال جبير بن مطعم كان صلى الله عليه وسلم حسن النغمة okay. His, when he recited it was beautiful وكان في صوته صحل كما تقول أم معبد والصحل بفتح الصاد والحاء كالبحة وبأن يكون حاد الصوت وكان في صوته قوة بحيث يبلغ ما لا يبلغه صوت غيره There was a depth to his voice like it was it had texture to his voice and it were, his voice would reach far away ووصفه البراء براء ابن عازب described him فقال خطبنا حتى أسمع العواتق في خدورهن Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم gave a speech one time gave a khutbah and people heard him from far away so his voice would travel it's a miracle for the Prophet وقالت أمهاني أمهاني سكنا نسمع قراءة النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم في جوف الليل عند الكعبة وأنا على عريشي she said that I would be sleeping, laying down, and I would hear the recitation of the Prophet ﷺ from, uh, while he's reciting at the Kaaba. Okay? So that ends this chapter of this excellent book, Muhammadun Al-Insanul Kamil, by Muhammad ibn Alawi, ibn Abbas, al-Maliki, al-Makki, al-Hassani. Okay, and that ends the chapter on the image of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Okay. And so, that ends segment numero uno. Let us now look at segment numero dos. Short segment. The, there is no, the, the, the final qawlun fasl on the England trip is not, uh, now this finalized, except for two events, maybe three events. Okay, um, planting roots of safety, Harrow, England. Let's click on that. Where is Harrow, England, and what day would that be? Okay, May thirty first, seven thirty p.m. Harrow Central Mosque. Okay, Harrow Central Mosque. We'll talk to the Muslims of Harrow. That should be good. Where is? Can you look up where it is? What city is that in? Cities there. Um, June second, planting prophetic seeds, the Melting Pot Community Hall in Bolton. But could you make a map? You know, like add destinations. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so put Harrow first, then put Bolton, 
Harrow Central Moss, then Bolton. And um, that's all I'm going to say for now because we wait until the rest are out. Okay. Okay. It's it's not live yet. I got to wait till the organizer says it's live or else they're going to get upset. Okay. So we got to wait until it's live, but I didn't even know where these two places are. Bolton, England. Bolton, UK. Yeah, click, click that. That is Bolton, England. Whoa, Bolton is far away from Harrow. Where is Harrow? Click on that. Harrow is, is right at the edge of London, northwest of London. Past Wembley. This is like zone eight. Is there, how many zones are there in England, in London now? Four? Harrow must be in zone four. Wait, where are you guys staying? We're not staying anywhere. Oh, Wherever. It's a different place every day. Oh, so you guys are like, going to be traveling? Yeah. Three hours and 40 minutes. From Bolton, all the way. Can you zoom out, take a screenshot, and put that up? Yeah, like that. Perfect. Okay, so that that's at least two. And and we're going to be, I'll be uh, sending out. I'll keep going all the way down. Go take the whole England. Yeah. Okay. And I'll have, uh, um, my wife will send it to the group. She'll send. I, I don't have like an assistant, and she's not my assistant. She's too educated to be my assistant. I would. I'd like to hire her as my assistant, but um, but she'll send it out to everybody when we get it, inshallah. Because um, she loves England. I wish she'd come out with me onto the trip, but um, okay, but she can't. So. That's what we have so far in England. Bolton and Harrow. And the other guys, they, other things are almost like, uh, you know, like 90% booked. How many guys? Uh, a handful. Yeah, just a handful. Yeah. Just a handful. It's not going to be a massive group or anything. Maybe when we get there, some of the young guys will go. And by the way, I don't do that type of thing with... Uh, yeah, some of these guys are... Some of the shiuch, they're like rock stars. I'm not really comfortable with that stuff. They're like rock stars, and they get, they're going, and they're taking a million pictures with somebody, right? Take pictures, and... I'm not really... I don't really do that stuff, to be honest with you. It makes me feel uncomfortable. I'm not a fan of that stuff. Let's let what's that? No, no clue. No clue to be honest with you. Yeah, no clue. All right, so that's good enough for sex segment number two. That's all we. That's all. That's what we have, right? All right, so Ibrahim Khan, is this a lecture tour? Yes, it's a lecture tour. When is it? Last Tuesday in May is the departure. Probably arrive Wednesday. And then depart back first Tuesday of June. It's a humble little tour. Go to some masjid, meet some people. I would really like to talk to non-Muslims. 
How do you get a room full of non-Muslims? Did you ever watch these videos of like uh, Yusuf Estes and these people, right? And he's given like shahada to like different people and talking about Islam. Where is he getting this audience? How is he, how is he pulling in this audience of like 60 non-Muslims? Because what matters? What is the, what is the most important thing is the tabligh, is to, to, to give da'wah to someone who, who needs it. Okay? That, isn't that the most important thing? To me, that's the most important thing. But uh, we'll go there and we'll give some, spend time with, with, um, with Muslims and, you know, see what benefit they, what we can benefit and what we can, we can benefit from them and we can give benefit to them. Are we done with segment number three? Is there anything else? Let's see if there's any comments or questions on segment numero trace, uh, numero dos. Hellish Razor says, go to speaker corner. For what, a vicar night? Do Maulid in Speaker's Corner? Okay. This, this tour has been sponsored by Karima Foundation and El Medina, a group called El Medina. And it's a humble little tour, right? Not some kind of a big deal. Just go out there, meet the Muslims of England, talk about you know, things like, just like we're talking about here on the stream, and see the ummah, uh, and that's the whole, the whole point of it, right? All right, let's go to segment number three. Look at this book right here. You see this book? I don't know the author. Like, I know his name, obviously. But I don't know who he is. Okay? This is an awesome book. I got this book in the mail. It's very colorful, so I thought maybe, is this like a, it looks like a Harry Potter novel, doesn't it? When I opened it, he, it's, it's an educated person's um, in examination of Islam. First, the existence of God, then prophethood, then hadith, okay? So... If you know this person, I do not know this person, and I got it in the mail. Someone sent it to me in the mail. Okay? I think the author or the author's friends, like the author's crew, sent this to me as a courtesy. I love these courtesies. Okay? And the first thing when I'm looking at this, I say to myself, is this person connected to Sheikh Noor Keller? Because there are some, you know, Sheikh Noor Keller's books always have one of these things. So when I looked at him, like, this person's connected to Sheikh Nua somehow, or inspired by his books, let's say. The book is called The Divine for Critical Minds, An Inquiry into God's Existence by Rehan Zaidi. Okay? He's a medical doctor, and he's also a philosopher, because most medical doctors, and they're in the... The, the, the field of trial and error or demonstrable knowledge, what we call al-ilm al-tajribi, they're far from al-ulum al-aqliya, the rational sciences. He comes here and he says that, um, that uh, he talks on the importance of the idea of philosophy, not philosophy as in the mind is all we need to discern the truth, not that kind of philosophy, but the philosophy, the idea of 
we need a methodology to know what is certain and what is not. Okay. And this idea of scientism that if I can't touch it, feel it, see it in a demonstration, then it's not real is a complete farce. And you are therefore cutting off two massive sources of certainty, which is transmission, transmitted knowledge. All right. Prove to me scientifically that George Washington existed. Prove to me scientifically that um, King Henry VIII existed. Prove to me that the Armada in Spain was destroyed scientifically. You can't prove any of this. It's transmission. Al-Khabaru al-Sadiq, it's called. The transmission that you must accept. Transmitted in a degree, in a way that rejecting it is an absurdity. Okay? Historical transmission like that. Okay? Languages are all transmitted like that. Many documents, many events are mutawatir like that. Then there's aqli knowledge, rational knowledge. Cosmologies are arguments that if premise A is correct, for sure. If premise B is correct, for sure. The conclusion must be correct, for sure. Let's say premise A is purely a rational principle that nobody can deny. Premise B is a demonstrable principle that nobody can deny. Therefore, the product of these two is a conclusion that cannot be denied. Okay. If all men are mortal, all human beings die, right? Does anyone disagree with that? No. Habib is a human being. One day Habib will die. You have to accept it as a fact. Okay. That is a ba- the basis of rational knowledge so let's take a look at what he what he talks about why should we use logic society today undermining logic society today is undermining logic like what is one way in which society today is undermining logic the refusal or inability to establish set definitions okay set definitions for things like the refusal to establish a set definition. Okay. And Matt Walsh knows all about that because he's the one who really brought that out, that we no longer define things okay. in his, his, his controversial documentary. It was controversial to some. It's not, it wasn't controversial to me. I thought it was excellent. From what I saw, I didn't see the whole thing. All right. Common philosoph- philosophical question. Did the laws of nature... Laws of physics create the universe. Could a, firstly, what is a law of physics? Is it not a description of the behavior between two material things? How could a, a law cannot create anything? A law is merely a description of the behavior of two different things. Okay, could the universe exist without a cause? Are there infinite universes? Okay, let's just read one for the sake of it. Let's go to page 28 and read from this. Even if we read a little bit every day, we'll learn so much. Can somebody contact Rehan Zaidi and tell him that I have a message for him, and that is Barakallahu Fiqh. All right. Did the laws of the universe create the universe? Did the laws of physics create the universe? Stephen Hawking says, What I have done is to show that it is possible for the way the universe began to be determined by the laws of science. In that case, 
it would not be necessary to appeal to God to decide how the universe began. This doesn't prove that there is no God, only that God is not necessary. All right. What does Rehan Zaidi say, the author? This is a great quote for a number of reasons. First, it shows how theists can end up with egg on their face. All right. When a gap they... uh, uh, when a gap they hastily stuffed with God is inevitably filled with its scientific explanation. So just because we don't know how something happened, do not say, oh, just God did it, that's it. Yeah, when Allah acts, Islam, when Allah acts in the world, he acts through means. Okay? What is the greatest miracle? One of the greatest miracles is the virgin birth. And even that, Allah created a mean, which is Jibreel came and touched the stomach of the Virgin Mary. Right? How about Moses split the Red Sea? Yes, but still, Allah commanded Sayyidina Musa, to strike the sea. So he always ex- creates with means in this world. So just because you don't know something, do not say, oh, it's just a miracle that Allah said, kun fe'kun. No, there will be a sebab one day we discover. We will discover the sebab. The sebab is the created means through which Allah creates something. Okay? What is the sebab by which I feel full? Eating. What's the sebab by which we're able to broadcast this? the wires and the cables and the satellites. Asbab. That's what the meaning of Asbab. If you don't know what the meaning of Asbab is, that's what it is. Asbab is the created means by which Allah Ta'ala, or after which Allah creates ends. And both are separate creations. Yet Allah has created one before the other regularly so that we can manipulate them, use them, and predict them. Okay. Next, sure, it was unknown how such an amazing universe came out of the Big Bang, the theory that the universe was smaller than a pinhead and and extremely hot, and then started rapidly expanding, but opportunistically invoking a divine being without giving science a chance is bound to fail. He's totally right about this. Everything is created with a speb. Second, it reveals that new knowledge of the universe does not remove the need for a necessary entity a mistake that physicists repeatedly make and Sheikh Hamza Karamali has a brilliant video series on this and he says every time scientists discover something all you did is kick you added a new sebab you added a new link to the chain right so the first the first um, uh, generation of human beings how many causes and effects did they know not much fire heats Water cools, food satiates, uh, sharp objects cause pain. Now we have so much knowledge, but that all we are doing is adding links to the causation, right? This caused this, this caused this, this caused this, this caused this, this caused this. It does not uh, take away the need for an end at some point, a first source of creation. Late Professor Hawking director of the Center of Theoretical Cosmology at Cambridge, may have managed to show that the initial laws work together to produce the amazing universe that we now have. Truly marvelous. But if laws can be shown to work together to produce the result we're looking for, does it explain how laws came about in the first place? This is philosophy. This is why a philosopher can critique a scientist without being a biologist or a scientist. Okay? On this point, Rupert Sheldrake poses a question for materialists. 
if the laws of nature existed before the Big Bang and governed the Big Bang from its very instant, where were they? Because laws are mere descriptions of material things' behavior. So if material things didn't exist, where were the laws? Right? Moreover, if some formula or final theory is developed that can account for every detail of our universe, including the laws along with all their constants, the next question would be where did it come from? And why did it exist in the first place? The answer would probably be some super formula. But then where did the super super formula come from? Laws, like everything else, are contingent, meaning they are in one particular form instead of another. I think Rehan is a student of Hamza Karamali. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing here. Because having interacted with this knowledge enough, you start seeing the thread of similarity of a beautiful transmission. This is so important. Sheikh Hamza Karamali is one of the first people to speak like this. Not like in the world, but in our world. In our little world of English-speaking um, kalam preachers and teachers. Okay. But he's putting it in a very easy way for people to understand. They could have, contingent means it could be one way instead of another way. So gravity is what? A certain measure. Well, couldn't gravity be stronger? Could it be lighter? Why is it this amount that it is now? Okay. Can you imagine gravity being stronger or weaker? Of course you can. As such, laws, like all uh, things contingent, require an explanation. Why are they the way they are? And in that sense, there certainly is a need for uh, an, an, a necessary entity or God as Hawking prefers, to choose them to be one way and not another. Nevertheless, to give Hawking the benefit of the doubt, he may not have meant to make an all-inclusive statement. If he meant that God is not necessary to explain how the universe unfolded after the Big Bang, because science explains those steps, then in this limited sense, we can give him that. Okay? Okay, after the creation. Fine. But in that case... Theists should learn why it is a mistake to attempt to plug scientific gaps with God in the first place. Okay, when there's a scientific gap, it could be filled. We can learn what the esbab are. So that's not the proof of God's existence. The proof that, that we need, it, that the, this universe needs a creator, is when you keep tracing things back. Okay. Eventually there has to be an end. Consider also when it comes to solving a millennium-old conundrum of philosophy, why it may have to do with a bit more than crunching numbers. One reason is because we do not have a physics problem at hand. See, our discovery of a mechanism that may have formed the universe does not preclude a necessary entity. That would be like learning how a coil transmitted heat to a kettle. All right? A coil transmits heat to a kettle and boils the water. Okay? In other words, it Questions like, why is there a kettle, and why does the stove have the ability to be heated, are unexplained by physics. Okay? These are moral questions. Right? Why is, when you walk into the kitchen and see the water is boiling, and you shout out, hey, why is the water boiling? The answer is not because someone plugged it in, put water in it, and clicked on the button. No. The answer is a moral answer. Because I'm making tea for myself, right? Not because it's plugged in. That's what he means here. Second, it is logically possible that a necessary entity, 
واجب الوجود in Islamic aqeedah we call we say wajib al-wujud okay necessarily existent okay works through mechanisms uh, such as cause and effects that we find throughout our universe and still remain necessary the concept of a necessarily necessary necessary entity only explains the cause formulas of how the universe may have unfolded is discussing something entirely different it is talking about the process so the process is one is something that is separate. If we happen to figure out the process by which the universe came about, we still did not solve the question of the original source of the universe. So yes, we know how it works. Wonderful. What's the source? What does Allah say in the Quran to get us thinking about this? Undur Allah says as a proof of himself, look how he began the creation. Okay? Question that aspect. The process is not does not answer that question. Just because you know how something came about. Okay. How did you start up your company? You know, the the interviewer asked the billionaire, Well, I walked up, filled the form, and handed it to the state. No, that's not that's not the answer to the question. That's the process of how it happened. But the question is. What is the moral cause behind it? I used to think it was obvious that just like no single academic discipline is an alternative to another, physics too is not a substitute for philosophy. That's the whole, what he's saying here. I presumed everyone except physicists knew this because they just love what they did so much. So I used to smile it off. But now I realize that the prominence of scientists that have publicly uh, ridiculed philosophy as utterly worthless have confused epidemic epidemic proportions of people students actually dismiss an entire discipline they are unaware is weaved into the fabric of their education if not it's very foundation meet philosophy when we say philosophy what is the method of knowing something is certain okay how do we sift through evidences that's what we mean by philosophy here this delusion plagues universities though philosophy was not my favorite subject all right even i was not boneheaded enough to dismiss the entire field it makes me wince that philosophy professors are reduced to repeatedly defending why they are relevant. Okay? It's like philosophy is the sport everyone is playing while questioning why should there be a referee. Simply put, if you opine that philosophy has no place in scientific inquiry, then you are, unbeknownst to you, engaging in philosophy. It's a claim. Science is much more than gathering out pure facts. It's about what questions we ask, how we get our answer, where we fit our data, how we fit it together, how that data produces a conclusion, and how to handle uh, conflicting evidences. Thus, if you are someone who does not comprehend that philosophy and its ancillary disciplines such as logic are an integral subject matter with rules that must be learned and respected, then this may be a good time to put this book away. Let me tell you, in Islam... When we talk about philosophy, we are talking about the very fundamentals of decision-making regarding knowledge. We are not talking about the philosophy as the discipline in which we seek to find the truth using only the intellect. That, that is a philosophy. That specific philosophy to us is kufr. But philosophy in general is the use of your intellect. Usul al-fiqh. Can you have a, do we have Islam without the concept of usul al-fiqh? We don't. We must have usul al-fiqh 
the method by which we sift through the evidences and come up with a conclusion. Well, n- there's no difference between that application to Islam and, that, and the application of that to every other discipline. Every discipline requires an usul. If I'm going to Canada, right, I need an usul. What's my methodology of getting there? How am I going to pay for it? All right, what happens if that happens? A philosophy, a plan. Okay, so that, that's a uh, summary or a little, we're going to read more and more about this. Uh, the Divine for Critical Minds by Rehan Zaidi. All right, really, really well written. I like this book, okay? And I'm going to be reading to you from it regularly, inshallah ta'ala, Okay. We got a lot of comments, and really quick, the end of segment three, another book. I just ripped this off I, uh, from, I saw it uh, on my wife's seat, and I'm going to be reading from this. It's called, I can't really, you can't really see from the screen here, The Provenance of Man, a Sunni apologetic of the original creation of Adam, alayhi salam. I don't want to take it out of the wrapper. I didn't take permission to take it out of the wrapper, to be honest with you. So, it's by Tahseen Khan. Who is Tahseen Khan? He's our guy. He used to live right here. He moved, unfortunately. He moved for work. But Tahseen Khan's our guy, right? And he's one of the ulama, uh, students of, of Asham. Ulama Asham. He's one of the students of Ulama Asham. Okay? And so uh, Tahseen Khan... Uh, Tahseen Khan is one of our guys, right? And he opened it up, okay? Stealing my wife's book here, okay? But I'm going to open it up. I'll I'll take it back. I hope it wasn't meant for anybody else. I'll buy another one, okay? So this too, I think, I would like to read, okay? Okay? Empirical methods, miracles, and Adam, common descent, consensus, reason for the, rev- for the revelation of certain verses. Okay, 359, let's see what that's all about. All right. In the method of Isa, in the like method of Adam, khalaqahu min turabin thumma qalalawakum fayakun. All right. Um, this will require me to read it and give summaries. It's pretty dense. The footnoting is immense, okay? And I'll be reading this book for sure. So I highly recommend this book as well. Um, Tahseen Khan, some people were saying things about him, but I don't think any of that's true, to be honest with you. I don't know why. I was surprised why anyone would say something bad about Tahseen Khan. He's the student of Ulama Hashem. So that's all I know about him is, is, is excellent things, good things. That's all I know about him, to be honest with you. All right, here we go. What time is it? It is now 2.21. You know what that leaves us? That leaves us with 39 minutes, 39 whole minutes on open QA. We haven't had open QA in ages, okay? In ages. So here we go. And let me tell you something. If you have... Put your question up. Repeat it. Because I don't want to scroll up. It's scrolling up. It's just... Um, I'm, we're not going to be scrolling up. 
So send your question now. If you sent it, copy, paste it, put it again. First question is from Maryam Jahami. Was the Prophet ﷺ free from sins? What about the incident with the blind man? The Prophet ﷺ was free from sins. Their incident of the blind man consisted of the Prophet ﷺ frowning. And frowning is not a sin. Am I right or wrong? That's the simple answer to it. What is the people question? Hold on a second. Allah says, Abasa wa tawalla. Yes, the Prophet frowned and turned away. Where in the Quran does frowning and turning away is a sin? In fact, this is praiseworthy because he could have done a lot more. If I'm talking uh, to a big shot and then a man comes and interrupts, do you not expect me to scold that person and shoo him away? But the Prophet never did any of this. The Prophet ﷺ did what a noble and virtuous person would do, which is merely became a stop smiling. He frowned and he turned away. Does not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, okay, if an ignorant person comes to speak, they say peace. Now, we're not saying that the blind man, Abdullah ibn Umar Maktoum, was ignorant, but what he did was not correct at that moment, okay, to interrupt the Prophet like this. So the Prophet, I said, I'm turned away. So there's no sins there. Secondly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that Go for the low-hanging fruit. Pay attention to him, Abdullah bin Umar Maktoum. He wants Islam. He wants deen. This other elites, they don't want it. Don't pay attention to them. Make life easier for yourself. So that's what that is about, and that has nothing to do with sinfulness. But there is some from ulama ahli sunnah, including Malik, including Nawi, said, yes, it is possible for a prophet to do a very small sin, and then they would make tawbah right away, or Allah would send down the ruling on it. And that is an opinion within Ahlul Sunnah. You have to know that too. Okay. Let's take one from, from YouTube. Can a husband use his rights to be unreasonably strict and controlling with his wife, causing her mental problems and making her life dysfunctional? No, in general, that would be sinful because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Describes the house as Sakina. Okay. From Allah's signs is that He created from amongst yourselves pairs, mates, so that you may find sukun, serenity amongst them. Mental problems, mental disorders, stress is the opposite of sukun. So this person is doing something wrong. What do I say? Where do I stand when I go to a grave? You go, you can stand at any portion at the head and you can make du'a for the deceased and du'a for all the people in the grave and du'a for yourself. All the people in the graveyard. Dean Adi says, can you give a brief overview on the appropriate use 
and meaning of various designations, such as Sheikh, Imam, Mufti, Habib, Ustad, and others? Very good question. A Sheikh is the most broad and general one because even an old man can be called a Sheikh. A Sheikh, it tends to have a signification of uh, years under your belt. That's when you someone says a sheikh, you generally have the concept that they're a bit older, they got some years under their belt, okay? And of course, we use it for Islamic scholarship too, but it's, if we're going to use that, the word sheikh, you probably should use it for someone who's a bit on the older side. And then once you get older, whether he's knowledgeable or not, it's a word of respect. You say sheikh to any old person too, okay? So that's one thing. Imam. Imam is somebody who, the way I look at it, the term should involve someone with a social responsibility. And it doesn't have to have much knowledge either. You expect him to have knowledge, but an imam has enough knowledge for the day-to-day caretaking, shepherding of the flock. So if someone has a social role in the masjid or something, call him an imam. Or even for a select group of people. This person is looked up to for direction for a select group of professionals, for example, or of ulama, then he's an imam. But the the, the um, inference there with the word imam, or not the inference, but the, the um, understanding with the word imam is that he has responsibility towards people. He's a leader. So sheikh, an elder. Imam, a leader. Mufti, this is the highest level, okay? And that is someone who has graduated in fiqh to be able to answer your questions. And he doesn't have to be old, and he doesn't have to be a leader, but he has the knowledge to be a mufti, to give you answers to new questions. It's a very high level of fiqh. Istifta, the the asking questions, really, it's used in two different ways. General questions, and specific questions about new matters. Okay, so a mufti really should be somebody who can answer you questions on new matters. I think it's used very lightly these days. Every, so mufti so-and-so is coming. Or where is he? He's 16 years old with like three hairs in his beard, right? Oh, what is this? How is he a mufti, right? Oh, well, he finished the five-year course. Yeah, so maybe he's a mufti in the sense that what's in the, the Hanafi textbook, he can answer that question. Yes, that is correct about him. He knows that. But can he answer nawazil, new matters, right, on new issues? That is, at least I can say that the, that's the higher level of the word, mufti. He can answer you uh, nawazil. Nawazil means ish, new issues that came down. All right, what's next? Habib. Habib, leave that off. That's only for a certain group of people in Yemen that are from Ahlul Bayt. And they call themselves Habibs. Okay. Habib Omar always, we mention his name, right? He's maybe one of the leaders of the Habayb. Of course, he is one of the leaders of the Habayb. All right. So the Habayb, it's a specific nasab lineage in a country of Yemen, in a city called Tarim, in the region of Hadramaut. Okay. And they're a certain group of scholars a very vast lineage by the way like you can't not a lineage like you can count it like a family tree no we're talking millions 
in East Africa, in Yemen, in Indonesia, in Western India, in Malaysia, in Singapore, everywhere. Okay, they're far widespread for dawah purposes. They went out for dawah, intermarried, lived with them, and their nobles and their shiuch are called habibs. Okay, so that's something khas. Next one, ustad. Ustad. That is probably the safest one. Anyone who is teaching a class is an ustad. If you are a, a teenager teaching a child alif ba'ta, you're his ustad. So there's not you're you're pretty safe with that as long as a person is teaching a class ustad. Okay, how about a sidi? Sidi's become like an infamous. It simply means sir or mister in North Africa, specifically Morocco. In Egypt and Palestine, it means grandfather, right? But in North West Africa, West Africa and North Africa, Morocco and Algeria, Sidi is simply means Mister or Sir. But now it has come with an inference or a um, just a general respectful term. It's a, it's a good term. You could use it for anybody. I could use it for a stranger in the street, Mister, Sir. Okay. All right. I hope that answers Dean's question. Very good question. Dino Palavra says, Sheikh Habib Omar says the Prophet wouldn't naturally do this. He actually went against his nature to teach him proper etiquette. Oh, so he's talking about something specific and I can't remember you know, what he was talking about. Okay. Is anger from parents towards children warranted? If yes, in what case? And in, in what case would this not be permissible? A parent will be angry with their child when they see something from them that they know will harm them in their deen or their dunya. Okay. When I see that, for example, my son, let's say hypothetically, um, being rude. Is that going to get you far in the world? Is it a good quality? No. So I become angry for that. What is not good anger? When it's anger just for the ego's sake. When I want to be respected over and beyond the norm for the sake of my, I want to be in full control over this person. I think that's a bad sign. That's not good. Anger should be anger with something that uh, you would not want to see your child graduate from you as a parent with these qualities lying cheating being rude failing school titi ansari says what is the benefit of reciting minimum 300 salawat if you can recite even a thousand even better the benefits have no end i'm telling you the benefits do not have an end number one your dua will be answered number two your sins will be forgiven regularly number three your mood will always be up your optimism your optimism will always the, the glass will always be half full there will be a feeling of you're constantly in the miracle of Allah. You ask yourself, what is Allah doing with us? There's a wisdom in everything Allah's doing. Like you really begin to, your anxiety is lifted. Your concerns of yourself are lifted. So that's what the Prophet promised for it. And that's the truth of it. Sadiq says, I have heard some ulama say the Prophet was given to Saruf over the universe. I've also heard other ulama say this isn't true. What do Ash'aris and Madikis believe? 
I don't. I can't answer that. I don't, Allahu alam. Tasarruf over the universe. The Prophet is given what he wants. His dua is answered. Isn't that the summary? Is the dua, dua of the Prophet answered yes or no? Of course it's answered. So there. What the, if the Prophet wants something from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah gives it to him. That's all you need to know. Is studying slash working, we're going to go rapid fire here. Is studying slash working for worldly benefit of any importance for women? Should it even be something they strive for? By sharia, the woman should be living. First, she is taken care of by her father. Then she's taken care of by her husband. And in the case, in a situation where you don't have tribes and you don't know what's going to happen, why not have a skill? There's nothing haram of the woman having a skill. But does she have any pressure or obligation for her to do worldly work? The answer is no. No pressure, no obligation. But um, also, as long as the job is within Islamic, uh, you know, acceptable Islamic framework, then it's not forbidden either. And then, by the way, in some places, I mean, one income is not even sufficient anymore, unfortunately. That's a shame, but that's how life is. Adiba says, do you recommend joblessness or a lot of free time for a believer? Do you think that negatively affects a person's well-being? Yes, I do. The idle hand does the devil's work, I think is a good saying. Idleness, sleeping in, is going to produce um, bad results. You're going to end up with people doing bad things. Idle, uh, sleeping in, bums, no good, no good. Of course, you may have a phase where that's the case, like in between jobs or in between school and graduate school. But, but as a norm, day in and day out, no, not acceptable. When my dad retired, he got a settlement. A good portion of it was put in a bank, fixed deposit. No zakah has been calculated on it before. I have the fo- the following questions. Okay, this question is broken up, but I'm assuming when that he's going to ask for zakah. Is it in your possession? If the bank account is in your possession, you owe zakah on it. After the first year, then after the second year. If it's not in your possession, then the day they give it to you, that's when the gifts, but it's it's in your name, but it's not in your possession, then you don't pay zakat on it. It's not in my possession. It's like I have your money that I'm going to give to Habib. Habib doesn't owe zakat on that. The, the moment I give it to you, then starts day one. After a year, then you pay zakat on it. I hope that's, that's uh, an answer to the question. How was your UK trip coming along? Rewind a little bit because we segment three was we were covering that. We covered that. We covered a little bit and we'll have more information as time goes on. Sarah Suleyh, hey, what books do you recommend for non-Muslims about life of the Prophet and the life of other Muslim figures? Well, to be honest with you, I still, until today, have not found the, the perfect sirah for youth or new Muslims. I haven't found it. That like 150 page short sirah. And believe it or not, Karen Armstrong, who is not a Muslim, she has a very good sirah. Short, quick summary of the Prophet's life for non-Muslims. I, I, find, find me a book. I wish I could write it myself if I had the time. Okay. What is a good itr brand? 
um, Abdus Samad Al Qurashi, I believe it's called, is the best. Abdus Samad Al Qurashi is one of the best, I should say. Huh? Uh, I don't know. Good question. Arabian Oud is also pretty good. Uh, very expensive, though. What is the meaning of pure men for pure women? It means that, in general, the marriages that will last are people of the same level of modesty. Same level of purity of heart. If their hearts are not aligned, eventually they'll separate. Osama floating. You got three questions here? A three for one deal? All right, let's see. Is it impermissible to make du'a to marry a woman who is already engaged but not yet married, keeping in context of the du'a that you want the best outcome for everyone and not for anyone to be upset and for the fiancé to also get something better and also that you would cease if she got married? From my understanding, you cannot propose to her unless you have the fiancé's permission. But I don't want to pursue that. I'm just wondering if I can simply make a dua and leave it with Allah. Okay. Would this be haram, breaking kinship ties? Um, I would say the safest thing is to say someone like her. Right? That's safe then you're not entering into someone else's life, right? I would say, make it safe and say, oh, well, Allah, make me marry, let me marry someone like her or better, okay? And Allah knows best. Because you don't want to get involved in other people's, they're engaged, they're going to marry, don't get involved. Someone like her, okay? Maham says, when going through a difficult time and you have messed up big time, what is the drought to make? Very easy. La ilaha illa anta subhanaka Are there any updates on the dotted Fetch summer intensive? Yes, that summer intensive is going up. Uh, uh, why don't we pull up, go to darulfetch.org and you could sign up for the summer intensive and hang out with us for two months here in New Jersey. I was told by my teachers, according to says Umm Maryam, that the best way to retain ilm and knowledge is by leaving sins and useless distractions. Yes, that's correct. Sadaqat, where do I stand? Uh, we answered this grave about the grave. We answered Osama Floating's question. Okay. When reading books, how do you remember all of it? Is it possible? Yes, it's possible by reading it multiple times. Four or five times, six readings of the same book. Never be shy about or, or hesitant about repeating something. Okay. Umm Maryam says, I was asked about this... Pra uh, oh, sorry, first chocolate wallet, then Umm Maryam. To be honest... Many women consider being obedient to the husband as him being controlling. Just the concept of it. Um, well, there has to be order in a family, right? You cannot have two people steering the wheel. Next time you drive in a car, have two people steer the wheel. See what happens. Have two people have access to the gas and the, and the pedal. There has to be order in a marriage. And yes, we have a culture today, I would say, where orders are not nice. It's not a normal thing to give orders. Do, to go do this. Go do that. We should say, hey, do you mind doing this? Can you possibly do this? Imagine I walk in and I treat it like uh, I'm a boss. Hey, okay, you do this first, do this second, do this third, right? It's like, it's not our, I don't believe that any Westerner 
when they, when a man and woman marry that this is the norm for them i don't i don't see that even for not just for our generation even the previous generation you ask stuff nicely right but nonetheless there is still order like where does the final say on certain matters who's responsible right if there's physical uh harm coming from outside if there's a lack of food and clothes and if there is waywardness in the dean the husband's responsible so he gets the final say on these things simple as that when it comes to matters of care and compassion that is the general fields that allah created for women to be tender and compassion towards kids and babies that in general and care giving they would have the final say on that. I don't think, do you ever see a man say, no, I have, I have the final say on how many diaper changes we're doing today, right? That's absurd. That's the general thing that I think say all from humanity, cross humanity, all across history. That's been the way that human beings interact. Now, was there ever a time where the man walked in and said, go get dinner? Maybe that's a culture. Who knows? It's not our culture. I could tell you that right now. Maybe there was a time where the man, when he walked in, he had he killed a killed a Bengal on the way, probably in Bangladesh somewhere, right? Killed a Bengal tiger on the way, made the house safe for us tonight. Yeah, then that guy puts his feet up and says, "Oh, you know, get me some steak, get me some that." So that's their culture, right? That was their world. We're in our world. So I believe in order, and I believe that there are general spheres, and I don't see just my opinion that in our culture as Westerners and Americans, that, that husbands and wives are given, or that husbands and wives are given orders, right? The husbands definitely, that's not part of the culture. That's what I see. But they have a problem of being obedient to the husband. Well, I don't think, I think that they should, you know, look at what Allah said about it. What did the Prophet say about it? Did not the Prophet said, said any woman who fasts, prays her five, fasts her month, and obeys her husband? The Prophet did not shy away from saying, obeyed her husband. So if we're going to have a problem with that, go, go to, that's your problem with the Prophet, peace be upon him. I can't help you. I was asked this question, says Umm Maryam, about the practice of Hadra and its legal position in Islam. Please enlighten us. Hadra is movement while doing dhikr, and you can see, I don't have much comment on that, but you can see Sheikh Noor Keller's articles, and his, he has a chapter in his book on that. But we personally don't, we don't really do that here, except for standing. We do do standing. But what's, what's, what's with standing? Standing is nothing. Allah in the Quran says, remember Allah standing and sitting and laying down. So, But the Hadra involves moving, swaying, bowing in the dhikr, and that you go to Sheikh Noor, but we really have nothing to do. We don't do that. Sarah Surah, he says, what books do you recommend for non-Muslims about the Prophet? We answered that. What is the general stance on uh, Wahhabis? No, I don't want to get into that. Bushra Begum, people say three Tawheed are in the Ash'ari and Maturidi texts, but I heard it's a bid'ah. Yeah, three Tawheeds in the sense that, um, like they're three distinct Tawheeds, but there are facets of Tawheed. I don't think there's an issue with that. But we don't have like three different types of Tawheed. Tawheed is Tawheed. 
How can you know if Allah loves you or not? There are signs of Allah's love. If Allah wants good for somebody, he gives them knowledge of deen. If Allah wants good for somebody, he inspires, if he loves them, he inspires them to make tawbah. If he loves them, he inspires them to connect blessings to himself. Such as, this blessing is from Allah. That blessing is from Allah. That's one of the signs Allah loves you. Because the reaction of that is that you will love Allah. Right? So these are some of the, the signs that Allah loves out. Uh, what is your position with the book of Allah? That is a sign of Allah's love for you. Let's go to Instagram for a second here. How do you overcome overthinking? Where to draw the line for logical thoughts and overthoughts? That's a good question. Ask people. Anytime you get that fuzzy, when you're in a fuzzy thing that has no rules and it's a judgment call, ask people. Ask the people who succeed, all right, who succeed in life. All right? How do I know when to make the purchase? I've in I've 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 uh, trying to buy a car, and I've been studying for five months. The different cars out there. Oh, that's way too much. Three weeks is enough. So ask people. Okay. How to deal with someone who triggers you? No matter what they say or do, there's no way to avoid them. Mm, that's tough. That's tough. That's sabr. You know, sabr bit sabr. The Prophet said, patience is by forcing yourself to be patient. There's no other way around it. There's no shortcut. Patience is by forcing yourself to be patient. Abid Niaz says, I'm 24. If someone calls me sheikh at the masjid, are they calling me old? Not necessarily because they also use sheikh as to mean a, a, a scholar. Khamar says, is studying working for worldly benefit of any importance for women? We answered that from, I think, Instagram. SP says that they will be attending the event. They're in Bolton and they will be attending the event. So, mashallah, we look forward to seeing you all there. Okay. Will you be back on Twitter? Yeah, it, it probably will be back up soon. And then we'll be back on, inshallah. Can anyone recite Hizb al-Bahr? Allahu Adam. I don't know if that requires a ijazah or not. I really don't know. Husband hasn't been working. Not providing for his family. Okay. For most of the marriage. The wife works and takes care of everything. She wants to buy a house and also put it in his name. Why would she do that? Why would you do that? You have your own home. The guy is a bum. Personally, he should be divorced. That's the first thing, right? You're not doing your job as a husband. Why would you put the house in his name? You work. That's your money. I wouldn't do it. If, if, if my daughter came with that, I said, firstly, get rid of this guy. If she says, no, he's so good. He said, how good is he if he doesn't work and produce some money? Now, I'm not saying that there's never a situation where that could not be agreeable. It could be. I'm flexible. In life, things happen. A guy may throw his back out. His wife is supporting him. It could happen. That's fine. But if it's a principle, I'm not working and you're working as a principle. Okay? 
and she's not happy about that. That's not good. That's not good. Okay? But I am aware that there could be exceptions to the rule. Not to be so rigid about everything. Even though there's a pretty clear thing in the Sharia. The man is the maintainer of the woman. He is always standing, maintaining, working, effort, bringing money. That's the general rule. There are exceptions. So I don't want to uh, uh, upset anybody that uh, is in that exceptional category. But to make it like the principle, and it's out of laziness, not out of a deal that they made or some agreement that is temporary or something like that. That is the principle of the matter? No, that's not accepted in Islam. I have to say that. Okay? And so, if I'm, if that's the case, I probably would not... Uh... No, I wouldn't accept that. Put the house in your name. Asim Khan has a seerah for children. Habib Omar has a book called Who is Muhammad? Okay, good. We need to get those. Can you, can you look up that book, Who is Muhammad? Dua to remove a great difficulty. La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. The dua to remove great difficulty is La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. Have you read the Al-Alawi Seerah Muhammad Best of Creation? I think that this is what we're reading. And it's not so much of a seerah, but it's a um, shama'il type of thing. But maybe it's a different book. How many pages? Nuruddin Aitr has one. 112 pages? Okay. Nuruddin Aitr has a, a seerah for, for you. That's a short seerah. Uh, Adam Frandercorn. I have a non-Muslim friend who is very close to coming to Islam, but when I meet him, I cannot convey the beauty of Islam smoothly. Don't try to use words. Use your state. Use your behavior. Use your actions. Okay. Lisan al-hal min lisan al-maqal. The tongue of your condition, your state, is more... Uh, eloquent than the tongue the uh, the tongue of speech Niqabi says is the summer intensive for women it is but we don't have a house for the women to stay that's one of the things we didn't have yet right we did we're able to procure a home for the guys to stay in but not one for the women that's the only thing okay what is in basic aqidah and fiqh books you suggest someone trying to learn about Islam says Qasar Qasar Saad the answer to that is go to arcview.org and look at our courses and see what's being taught there. arcview.org. That's where we teach our classes. And you can sign up for 10 bucks. You get all these classes, pre-recorded and live. For example, today, the live class is Hanfi Fiqh. Okay. All right, a lot of questions and answers here. Let's take some here. Maliki says, are your online classes about Maliki fiqh or does it go over different types? All different methods, all four methods, each one with a different teacher. Aqidah, tajweed, tasawwuf, Islamic spirituality. Right? A lot of different classes. And Moeen gave a good answer there. Thank you, Moeen. If a woman is oppressed by her husband and is stingy in accepting khula or giving divorce, what can she do? The imam or a council can 
divorce her off. If it's a lengthy process, get your wali to pressure him uh, into making things work out. You know, you want things to be good. He's not wanting to make things to be right, set right, or move on with life. Your wali should be pressuring him. And you should bring the imams and the people who are respected leaders. If they're not going to, the imam has the right to pronounce a divorce between two people in Maliki fiqh. He He takes the position of the qadi, and he could do that. But if people are worried about that, take the time with the councils, even if it takes time. If not, no counsel, make your own, bring your own leaders of the community into the situation to pressure him to do what is right. Okay. When are you coming to Dallas? There's Dallas and Houston has not finalized that, but maybe in the summer. What color was the Prophet Adam? Allahu Adam. La Adri. Do not know. Color of skin was Prophet Adam. Is it necessary to join a tariqah? No, but I think it's necessary to have a mentor, have a sheikh, have someone to help you show the way. And that way is usually through dhikr. Does MBIC have classes for middle schoolers, says Zahid and Inaya. Yes, we do. And that's on Tuesday, 5.30, bring your kids. You can just do the rest of the spring term with us and then sign up again in the summer. Do I have to put my name for my questions to be answered? The answer is no, you do not have to. You can put it anonymously. What is the meaning of means do not side with them over the believers. Do not take them and believe that they will protect you. Okay. Um, do, and, and there's a fork in the road between the believers and, and others. Then the believers should be, you should offer them your protection and your advice and, and you should be supporting them rather than supporting Al-Kitab against the believers. Okay. Dino says, the hadith that says the comparison between the stars and the full moon is like the comparison in the worshiper and the scholar. Does this mean a layman can never reach the rank of a scholar? That is correct unless the layman starts to study. But it could be with Allah he possesses that rank. But in terms of his benefit to the people, no, the scholar is like the moon because he can benefit the people more. The layman may be in his worship and his purity of heart is greater even, but his benefit is not greater. So in terms of the benefit, he will not reach the scholar. But in other things, maybe he can reach the scholar. Maybe he can surpass the scholar in worship. He can pass the scholar in sincerity, in humility, in other things like that. Scholars tend to be, they benefit so many people, they're forgiven because they benefited people, because they may have arrogance, they may have other things that are problems, right? In the course of talking all the time and people listening all the time, they may develop bad qualities. So they may be forgiven just for the benefit that they gave to other people. So yes, a layman can surpass a scholar in different facets of the deen, but not in benefiting the people. Okay. Ahmed W., looking forward to seeing him at Harrow and seeing the whole community there at Harrow. Uh, anonymous sister, why are my questions not being answered? No, we haven't just maybe we haven't gotten there yet or haven't seen it yet. Where is anonymous sister's question? Read it to me. Just, uh, turn your mic on and, and. Do you do marriage counseling? No, I personally don't do marriage counseling. Um, then she 
said, uh, what would you say to a fan member who says that Islam is only spiritual and has no politics in it? Um, I would say that that's a bit vague. You have to ask the question, do you, does, does Allah and his messenger have the right to tell us how to govern our societies? Yes or no? And the answer must be yes. If the answer of this person is no, then they're on some kind of innovation. Yeah, this is not good. Yes, go ahead. Is the meher mutakfir only given in divorce and death? What if the man can't pay it? Well, first of all, the mu'akhar is differed upon by the scholars for a couple reasons. But in the terms, if you did a mahar mu'akhar, what is a mahar mu'akhar? It's when a man marries a woman, he pays her, he gives her a gift, which is a dowry. Whatever they agree on. It could be jewelry. It could be something else. But it oftentimes is money. Let's say $10,000. In some cultures, they created this thing called the delayed dowry that kicks in when a bad thing happens. It's supposed to discourage the person from doing it. Usually it does the opposite. But let's say it's like, okay, $10,000 is the dowry. We'll make it 5000 up front. If you divorce her within the first five years, 10000 So, well, guess what happens? He doesn't want to pay the 10000 So he'll start harming her until she asks for the divorce. That's why it's bad. But let's say you did it. If you did it, you did it, right? Then the terms should be written there. That upon divorce, $10,000. Okay? That's usually what the term is. Upon divorce. You pay her that amount of money. And what if the man can't pay it? He can't pay it. He shouldn't have made those deals in the first place. Salawat for motivation. Salawat for motivation? Um, what do you mean salawat for motivation? Joanna S. says, can you recommend an English version of Risal al-Qushayriya? The only one I have is the one that is online. Risal al-Qushayriya, PDF, and you'll see it there. It's online, translated. I think controlling is different from obedience, says Maham. That's a good point for marriage. Controlling and obedience different. Okay. Uh, Dallas Dallas has all it's the latest hot spot and the latest you know place that everyone's going to is Dallas so um, there's so many shiuch in Dallas that's why I'm like what's my point of me going to Dallas right they already have all the shiuch there what's the point should you say convert or revert I personally go with convert but because revert Reverting is usually something bad, but nobody is, you know, reverted back to old ways. Uh, but nobody is born. There's no hadith that says you're born a Muslim. You're born on the fitra. You are born on the fitra. Okay. And then your parent makes you Jewish, Christian, or otherwise. Okay. So 
you come up as a young adult and you're a Jew or a Christian or a pagan or an atheist and then you enter Islam, so you've altered your religion, but it doesn't really make a difference. No one should make a big fuss over convert. There's no like Sharia in this. If a husband says he is planning to divorce his wife, how should... How should the wife prepare or shouldn't she prepare? They have been married 28 years and they have two teenagers. The wife doesn't work and has no work experience. She was 18 when they got married. He's a successful businessman. That's This is the situation. That's Her wali has to take care of her though. Her wali, her father has to take care of her. Okay, what if her father doesn't have the means? This is a problem. It's a problem. This is not a religious question. This is a life question. In other words, how how are you going to survive? Well, he's got to pay for the kids. You got two kids, he's got to pay their rent. That's two thirds. So you only have to cover one third. So maybe the, she says the wali passed away. All right. Um, that's a problem. That is a problem. When, when fathers see this stuff, that's why they say, oh, I got to make sure my daughter has something to fall back on. What's your opinion on go to mixed gyms? No, well, we know it's not about mixed gyms or not. It's We know that you have to lower your gaze how are you going to lower your gaze you're not allowed to put yourself in a position where you have to lower your gaze let's all go to the beach and lower our gaze go to the beach with the you know where it's empty go in the gym right and then oh we have to lower the gaze well you put yourself there so that's a problem I can't tell you haram but I would definitely say that it is closer to forbidden putting yourself in a situation where you end up having to lower your gaze. Okay. Can I listen to Shia Latmiyas? No, you cannot. We don't do any religious things with people who are um, innovators. Can we say the N-word in a non-offensive way? I have multiple N-word ijazes. I don't know. Don't ask me. Right? (laughs) Don't ask me. Ask the people who would be upset by it. All right, that's it. Uh, we are wrapped up for the day. A nice return. Okay. The husband said he would give the wife anything. Okay, make a deal with him then. Yeah, make a deal. All right. And by the way, take everything up front because you can't trust that he's going to keep paying except for the child support. The law will make him keep paying. But for you, take it up front, big sums of money up front, invest it, live on that. At the same time, because you're not, he's not bound to give you as the wife anything after the divorce in Sharia. Okay, he gave you your freedom. So, if he's offering a deal, take it up front. Okay, take all the money up front, buy yourself an apartment, rent it out, live off that income, keep saving, buy another apartment, so on and so forth. That's the way to live. Okay. All right, it's great to be back. It is now 3 o'clock. We are done for the day. Jazakum Allah khairan, everyone. Let's go to the Dua An-Nur and recite that uh, before we leave today.
And inshallah ta'ala that will bless our gathering and we'll close off with this blessed dhikr and dua. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Allahumma ja'alli nooran fi qalbi wa nooran fi qabri wa nooran fi sam'i wa nooran fi basari wa nooran fi sha'ri wa nooran fi bashari wa nooran fi lahmi wa nooran fi dami wa nooran fi idhami wa nooran fi asabi wa nooran min bayni yadayya wa nooran min khalfi ونورا عن يميني ونورا عن شمالي ونورا من فوقي ونورا من تحتي اللهم زدني نورا وأعطني نورا واجعلني نورا وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين